Welcome to Divorce Explained, the podcast where we answer your questions and navigate the process of divorce together. Sharing real stories and personal experiences, this is your guide through it all. With your hosts, family law specialist Steve Benmore and divorce lawyer and strategist Leanne Townsend. Again, so what we were talking about today is the subject of divorce and pets. Now, let me expand that a little bit. Um, divorce is for people that are married, but we've got lots of cases of people that have disputes over pets who were never married. They were just common law, maybe boyfriends, girlfriends, girlfriends and girlfriends, boyfriends and boyfriends. But the bottom line is people form relationships and sometimes those relationships involve pets, oftentimes dogs, but sometimes other animals as well. And so when those relationships end, and if those relationships involved a pet, the question becomes, what happens to the pet? And who has the legal right to the pet? And so this has been a growing topic in Canada and quite frankly, all over the world. But for today, we're going to be discussing the subject of the rights of partners, spouses who are married or common law, and what happens to the pets uh, when that relationship ends. And so you, Leanne, you have a pet. Um, why don't you let us know a little bit about your pet? Who is it? And what's your relationship with that pet? So I, I have two pets. I have two dogs. I have a, a Bichon Frise named Marshmallow, who is 13 years old. She's a girl. And I have a Labradoodle, Jasper, who is a male, and he is uh, six years old. So they've, you know, I got them when my children were young. Um, I was already divorced when I got them, so there was no issue that way. In fact, my children's father has two dogs as well. So my children are in the, what they think is the very fortunate situation is they actually have four dogs. Because whoever's house they go to, there's two dogs there. So they're, they really love that. Um, but I've always had pets and um, I did have dogs when I got divorced, but it was a very easy to figure out what was happening with the pet. There was no dispute there. So it was pretty straightforward. So that means your kids have four siblings. That's right. That's right. right. And I'm, the, I'm, the, uh, I'm the mom of two fur babies, but they have four, four siblings right. in addition to each other. That's right. And so in my family, um, when I was previously married, we had a pet. Um, and when we split up, um, uh, Aubrey remained with my uh, former spouse. Um, and then um, for a brief period, uh, my kids, when they were with me, had a guinea pig. Um, and uh, we no longer have the guinea pig. Uh, the guinea pig, I believe, is in heaven. Um, and then when Samantha and I came together, I became a stepfather to Jersey Girl. And so we have a dog um, that uh, we love very much. Um, Samantha more than me, but, uh, <laughs> but we both love Jersey very much. And uh, she's just listening in right now. And she's finding it very interesting that she is the subject matter of an IG Live between two divorce lawyers. <laughs> With that said, um, both you and I um, prepared for today more than we normally do because, like I said, the law regarding pets in the breakdown of relationships is evolving very quickly. And if you asked me a year ago for the answer, it would have been a very different answer than the answer today. 
Um, and I know you, Leanne, you did some research and you wrote an article about this about a year or so ago. Am I right? That's right. I, I wrote a, an article for Lawyers Daily on this very topic. Um, and even since the time I wrote the article, there's been uh, some changes in, in evol evolving uh, law in the area. So it's, it's interesting how this is a good topic area to show how out of date something can become really quickly. So why don't you share with us what the law was when you wrote this article and then we'll move forward and talk about what the law is now. Sure. So historically, uh, pets have been treated like property. So if you're getting a divorce and you're dividing up the family property, whether it's, you know, investments or furniture, uh, your family pet, your beloved dog or cat or whatever pet you may have is, has been treated like essentially like what we call legally a chattel. Um, and, you know, in that type of situation, ownership determines who keeps the item. So, you know, for instance, if you have a, a sofa in your home and you're splitting up and the wife bought the sofa, uh, then, you know, it would naturally the sofa would go with the wife upon um, separation and divorce. Um, and same with common law. If, if you were living common law, the sofa would go with the wife because she purchased the sofa. It's essentially considered to be her sofa. So if you're married and let's say the husband purchased um, uh, an old English sheepdog that became the family pet, the beloved family pet, uh, historically because the husband's the one who purchased it um, and he can, if he can show that he purchased it, um, he would be considered to have ownership of the dog. And so the dog would be his, uh, if, assuming he wanted it, um, upon marital breakdown or the breakdown of the relationship. So um, it was, it's very much, it wasn't about, you know, who loved the, the pet more or who took care of the pet more or who, you know, was going to be more heartbroken by, you know, not having the pet or who the pet was closest to as well, you know, because sometimes pets, I, I know in my household, I love the fact that um, I seem to be the preferred one of my dogs, but I think it's because I'm the one who, the only one who's always here to take care of them, whereas my kids, you know, they're not here all the time. But, you know, it, it didn't matter what the pet's pr preference was either. Um, it was all about who actually had ownership. And so thank you for that. So we've, we've experienced a world where people, um, some people don't have children and for them, their pet is like their child and they give love and they receive love from that animal. And in some cases that animal came into the family's life together. The two spouses together adopted or bought the pet. Um, and so they formed a family unit together. And that family unit with a pet is one that's based very much on love. And so to equate the pet to a sofa for those people would be offensive, would be disrespectful of the nature of the relationship. And so we have the legal structure that has treated pets as objects that we uh, figure out what the legal rights are the same way we would figure out the legal rights to a sofa. But it, it also doesn't recognize the, the emotional and the psychological component of, that, of the animal's relationship with the two owners or the one owner. 
um, or the owner's relationship with the pet. And by the way, it gets even more complicated than that because what happens if there's more than one? What happens if there's two dogs? Or in one case that we read, there was a couple dogs and a whole bunch of cats. Um, wouldn't those animals have a relationship with one another? And is it appropriate to separate one dog from the other dog that it had always lived with? Or the dog and the cats, because some dogs and cats are indeed friends. And so these are real difficult questions psychosocially and therefore legally also. So then let's talk about where we are today. 10 years ago, we had a case enter the Ontario courts. The case of Warnica and Gehring went before Justice Timms, I believe in Oshawa, couple split up. They were not married and the, the male in the relationship brought an application against the girlfriend and said, I want my dog back. Judge Tim said, no, I'm not even going to deal with it. In fact, I believe the language for some who um, have a very strong love and attachment to animals, um, you might want to close your ears. Uh, because the judge wrote, there is a limit to the time and resources that a family court is willing to devote to the resolution of a dispute over a family pet. And that person wasn't happy with the judge's decision to not even listen to him. So what did he do? He appealed it to the Court of Appeal. What did the Court of Appeal do? They dismissed the appeal. And they dismissed the appeal not because there wasn't legitimacy to the argument that he wanted his dog back or that he wanted to share custody of the dog that wasn't what they they dismissed it on they dismissed it on the fact that the court doesn't have the time to deal with it and that part was really a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of people that had pets and couldn't uh, get it resolved amongst themselves. So if in Ontario or in Canada, you have a legal problem, you would think you can go to court and have the judge help you deal with it. But the court says, we're not gonna deal with it. So it sent a message for the last decade in Ontario that you got a problem with a pet, we're not gonna deal with it. And if you make us deal with it, we'll only deal with it if it fits within the boxes in the law. And what are the boxes in the law? Well, let's start with, there are no property rights for non-married people under the statute. So if you're not married, we won't deal with you. If you are married, we will treat the dog like a sofa. We will look for things like who paid for it? Was it a gift? Who insured it? Who was the custodian of it? Who has been the custodian of it after the after the separation. So these are very much tracing questions that one would do with a sofa or a car. So that unto itself is the current law in Ontario, but there have been people that have, a try, that have tried to use laws of equity. Laws of equity are, are cases that have been decided over the generations. And Mr. Warnica in the warnica Garen case tried to do that with a claim that there was what's called a constructive trust. And 
like I said, that was shut down by the judge, shut down by the Court of Appeal. So that's where things currently stand until this year where the government of British Columbia introduced a new bill before Parliament in that province seeking to create groundbreaking law with respect to the legal treatment of pets upon relationship breakdown. And Bill 17 was introduced this year by the Attorney General, Honorable Nikki Sharma in British Columbia, whereby they are introducing legislation to deal with what is called by definition a companion animal. So what's a companion animal? It means a, a, a family pet, but does not mean a guide dog, a service dog, a dog that is, uh, an animal that is kept for agricultural purposes, in other words, farm animals, um, or animals that are part of a business. So for example, if you own a pet shop, you can't include that. Um, so, uh, and by the way, you know, just a couple of years ago, I remember going into um, my car garage to get my car fixed and there was a cage with a bunch of birds in it. So when I read this legislation, I thought, well, if the business owns the birds, um, then I guess the birds in British Columbia would not be considered a companion animal if it was owned by a business. So these are really tricky in the weeds sort of analyses. But the bottom line is British Columbia is introducing new laws that will treat companion animals, i.e. dogs and cats, differently than what Ontario was doing. And I could only imagine that if that law, if that bill becomes law, we might see other provinces doing similar things and introducing the, 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 the new legislation. Uh, so, Leanne, have you had a chance to look at that BC law? And do you want to share with us what you've been able to figure out? Yeah, I, I have looked at it, and I think it's very interesting. And um, I think it is something that may we may find um, happening in other jurisdictions. It um, it takes an approach that almost is treating the family pet in some respects like a child. Um, you know, we have with children, we have a shared you know, parenting, shared decision-making. And we, you know, when we're determining uh, how, what sort of parenting arrangement or decision-making arrangement and schedule is appropriate for a child, we look to see what is in the child's best interest under the Children's Law Reform Act here in Ontario. Well, this BC legislation with respect to the family pet kind of takes a similar approach, almost looking at what is in the best interest of the pet. And so it looks at factors like the circumstances in which the companion animal was acquired, the extent to which each spouse cared for the companion animal. Uh, interestingly, any history of family violence or risk of family violence. So that's finding its way into even dealing with pets, which I think is great. Um, a spouse's cruelty or threat of cruelty towards an animal the relationship that a child has with the companion animal. I think that's very important too, because children are often very attached to family pets. And so, and they could be completely heartbroken to not be with a pet. So, you know, maybe the, the, the dog travels back and forth with the child, uh, you know, between parents' homes. That might be something that might be suitable in some cases. 
Um, another factor, the willingness and ability of each spouse to care for the basic needs of the companion animal and any other circumstances the court considers relevant. So it's taking almost a more holistic approach, looking at the whole circumstance surrounding this pet to determine um, who the pet should live with or you know, what's, whether there should be some sort of shared um, situation or whether it should go you know, exclusively with, with one of the parties. And um, when I was writing this article a couple years ago um, in other jurisdictions outside of Canada, there had been some case law that kind of moved in that direction of treating uh, a pet in a sense like a child or like a, you know, like a person rather than a chattel. Um, so this BC legislation is definitely in line with that. And I think as, you know, family pets have grown, I think even more so in popularity and attachment. So, uh, you know, it's a sign of the times. And that's why I think that this proposed legislation in BC uh, is something that we may see spread, you know, all across Canada. And for the benefit our viewers, the legal test that you, Leanne, laid out is a very interesting one because for those of you that are wondering what would a lawyer do with this new legislation if it were in fact to come into being in BC and or later in Ontario, is a client walks in the door and says, look, I split up with my wife or my husband and um, I left the dog there, but I would like the dog. I would like either the dog to live with me or... I would like the dog to spend equal time with me when the kids are with me as they are with my ex when the kids are with my ex. And so the legal test that the British Columbia bill is proposing allows the lawyer to ask the client all those important questions. Who bought it? Who cared for it? Was there any violence at home against the dog, against the children? Are the children connected to the dog? Are the children living with you? Or are they living with your ex? If they're living with your ex, the judge might say, well, then the dog stays there. If the children are living with you, the, dog, the judge might say, well, the dog should go with the children. And so these are all the factors that we as lawyers would be examining to determine how to advise the client. <coughs> and if the parties could not reach an agreement, how to argue the matter in front of a judge. But what I found to be the most startling, Leanne, was when I read the case law, there have been a number of cases, although the judges really had no patience for this in the past, where the one spouse said, I'd like to share the pet. I'd like joint custody of the pet. And the BC legislation, as progressive as it is, includes a provision that says an order respecting a companion animal must not declare that the spouses own the animal jointly and must not require the spouses to share possession of the animal. Now, one will wait for this to become law and then one will wait for lawyers to argue this law in the BC courts. But the fact that the legislation seems to suggest that a person cannot come to court and ask to share the animal seems to me to be a, a fairly stark limitation on what would otherwise be considered very progressive legislation. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, not sure why or what the thinking was, 
But one would think that if we're going to start treating animal pets like parts of the family, like children in the family, why wouldn't we allow the parties to share the pet? Anyway, I, I can only imagine that there is some fairly good legislation. Um, but I also don't know the answer to this question. In BC, will non-married people be able to claim rights to pets under the new legislation? Or is this limited just to married people? Because one could argue that that is a breach of one's constitutional right to equality. Why would a married person be able to seek custody of an animal, of a pet, but an unmarried person could not? And in Ontario, we have a very clear distinction between married and unmarried people with respect to property. But we do not have a distinction between married and unmarried people with respect to children. So the question then becomes, what are they going to do in BC? Are they going to treat pets as non-property like children and therefore allow married and non-married to have equal rights? Or are they going to treat it like property, in which case it's governed only by those that um, are married? Uh, these are all very, very good questions that I've asked myself. Um, and one will have to wait and see how the government of BC and the courts of BC deal with it. But I have to say, um, I am proud to be Canadian because now we are seeing governments in Canada not just recognize same-sex relationships or the right to an abortion or the right to have your store open on Sunday or the right to not allow homophobia or Islamophobia. We are also seeing the governments of Canada recognize the importance of pets to a family. And I, and I find this sort of legislation to be another reason why I can say to people when I travel the world, I'm a proud Canadian because we are progressive. No, absolutely. And, you know, I would say to listeners in this area, like any other area in family law, if you can work out an agreement with your former partner on how you want to deal with the family pet, you're, you're always going to be better off than leaving it, you know, up to a judge to decide. Um, so uh, it's certainly something, you know, despite um, this, the BC proposed legislation, you know, not allowing, um, you know, sharing possession of a family pet, uh, certainly people can agree to do that and they do agree to that. And so, you know, it's always better if you can carve out an agreement that is mutually acceptable to both parties. So I would certainly encourage people to do that with respect to the family pet. Now, I'm just curious, Steve, um, I've had one case uh, where there was argument over a dog. Um, I'm wondering if you've had this issue come up very often with your clients where there's been argument over a family pet. I have. And um, like you said, Leanne, and it's a very good point that I missed that irrespective of the legislation, um, and, and this applies not just to pets, it applies to every issue stemming from the breakdown of a relationship, settling the matter privately, discreetly, civilly, um, sometimes using a mediator, sometimes using a coach, sometimes using a collaborative lawyers is always the better route to go. And in my case, um, we've always been able to resolve the issue of pets um, privately and amicably. Um, and, you know, just as I said that out loud, I formed a bit of a, uh, a theory or a hypothesis 
maybe there's an element of compassion and um, cooperation that interlaces people that have pets. And maybe people that have pets have a greater likelihood of working things out because there is that sort of relationship that has been established with their pets through which their marital or spousal relationship exists. Who knows? That will be for a social scientist another day to study. But I want to say that to your question, Leanne, um, pets also are costly. There are vet bills and upkeep and food and grooming and, and sheltering. And so we've had many cases where the subject of the pet is agreed with respect to the sharing of the pet, but then we now have to mediate and negotiate the resolution of the financial costs of the pet. And, uh, and then, you know, in some cases, the pet goes ill and sometimes the pet needs to be put down. And these are all very difficult issues that require significant sensitivity, cooperation, and in some cases, the help of good counsel like you and I to be able to navigate them through the process. Definitely. Well, thank you everyone for joining us this week. We'll be back again next week with another topic uh, here on Divorce Explained. Bye everybody. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Divorce Explained. If you enjoyed it, don't forget to head on over to Instagram and follow at Steve Benmore and at Leanne Townsend Life for more. And if you're looking for specific divorce services, you can visit benmore.com and leannetownsend.ca. We hope today's episode made you feel informed and inspired as you move along through your divorce journey. Tune in next week for Divorce Explained.